Hello out there, everybody. Hope you can smell it in the air. Yes, it's the smell of football. It's it's an imminent fall camp about to start. It won't be long, Adrian, until we are roaming tailgate lots across America Ooh. with a cold beer in our hand. Some hot takes to dish out on the podcast every week. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, baby. That was a pretty good intro. That was a fantastic intro. I'm fired It up. got me all juiced up. I mean, you know, as as... September inevitably draws closer and closer. Everyone's excitement for football just starts getting more and more. And yes, yes, the social medias are a buzz. And you see the pressers and media day. And now, man, I, I'm feeling the buzz kind of surging through me. And um, I can smell it as well, Jared. I can yeah. smell it as well. First, I wasn't sure if you were talking about the the smell of Philadelphia. because We're oh. we talking to the temple today. But no, it's the smell of the tailgate lots. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is a long, long interview, like way longer than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be the short one. Turned out to be the longest so far. So we're not going to dilly dally at all. And we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it. But before we do, of course, we got to give our Patreon shout outs. Uh, we're actually recording this one early. We're going to release it early on Patreon and then release it to our main feed. Um, so just another reminder of all the benefits you get. As a Patreon mm. subscriber, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the content schedule, we got to space things out. We got to release things early. You always see the episode early if you're on Patreon, because I finished it at like 11 o'clock at night and send it straight to Patreon. Uh, whereas, you know, the regular feed, I have to schedule it for the morning time. So if you're a night owl, which is a callback to the interview we're about to play, you wow. know, you get an extra benefit. Um, but yeah, shout out to all of our big money donors on Patreon, including Ben Tovar, Rick Cortez of Red Road Grillers, The Bunch Family. Zach is better quit on the San Antonio Podcast Network, the Fikes Family, and Homefield Apparel, where you can use the discount code UTSA once homefield to get 15% off your first purchase or 10% off purchase for any returning customers. And uh, you'll also be supporting us and the Dave Campbell Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. Whew, got every syllable without a pause. Of course, thank you to our Board of Trustees members, Digitique, John Alwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rally Tailgating. Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Bird Gang Tailgate, Ray Redding and Meet Me Apparel, Brandon Grill and the Gray Realty Group, Andy Elizalda and Professional Benefit Solutions. I was going to say, if you're a patron, you also get a discount code Thank you. to the Alamo Audible Original Fan Shop, which has the absolute best non trademarked UTSA apparel on the market baby (laughs) you cannot get anything cooler and so yes please go check it out uh the banditos collection dropped i guess by the time you're listening to this uh last week and um we had so much fun with it i think it is such a such a cool play uh on the road runner the grim runner shout out to aaron for his creative expertise in getting that out and uh and and we and we've got other stuff too we've got a lot of really cool collections there we've got more on the way so please as you gear up your wardrobe for a new football season in a new conference, consider Alamo Audible, one of your shopping destinations. Yeah, and I'll also say, too, if you ordered some stuff and you got it in the mail, please uh, tag us in a photo because it really helps a lot for sure. Um, yeah, without further ado, go ahead and cut it over to our interview with Ryan Wallen of Al's Daily 24-7 so we can get to learn uh, a lot of interesting tidbits about the Temple Athletics Program and uh, some of the challenges that Temple has faced operating in Philadelphia. Very, very fascinating discussion. And a so lot of it's a lot of okay. Temple's parallels to UTSA. 
every episode, every episode we find more. Incredible. You. Yeah, stuff. shocking. Yep. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys all for subscribing. Hope you guys enjoy this interview and we'll see you back very soon for our next episode. guys we are here today with ryan wallen of owls daily 24 7 ryan has graciously agreed to come on the podcast to tell us a little bit about the temple owls and one of my favorite new cities that i'll get to visit uh heading into the conference and thankfully i'll get to go in year one so ryan thanks for coming on man we appreciate it of course guys it's a pleasure to be on thanks for having me yeah of course so i guess to get us started uh tell us a little bit about uh your coverage at temple and i guess like how you kind of came to cover the owls well, so I attended Temple from 2014 to 2018. Um, during my sophomore year, I actually was doing a small podcast on the Eagles with a buddy, and um, he got word that somebody was looking for uh, a beat writer to start covering Temple for what was then Owls 247 on the 247 Sports Network, which is a CBS uh, sports partner. Um He wanted me to basically go and cover the weekly press conferences and practices that were um, on Tuesdays throughout the day because he lived in South Carolina and he couldn't obviously make it up every week. So he was looking for a a student journalist to do that. And I reached out to him. I got the gig, started doing a little bit of coverage then. And then I um, moved into a full-time role starting that spring. after 24 or 2015 so 2016 season was my first full season covering temple football and basketball for uh owls 247 and then eventually when 247 and scout merged it became owlsdaily.com and uh, i've been with them for now three four years four years now and um still basically the same thing uh i mean i don't live in philly but i still go up for all the home games and I try to go to the away games that I can. Um, my editor though, he's much more dedicated than me. He's been covering temple for over 30 years. Um, he actually founded the, uh, what was then the rival site where what is now the rival site, alscoop.com as a magazine, um, back on temples campus when he was a student there, um, started out as a newsletter and then eventually got uh, transitioned into the rival site, but now he owns owlsdaily.com and he goes to every, uh, every home and away game that there is. Um, so you can expect live in-person coverage from us at every, uh, temple event there. Man, it was awesome. Fantastic sure. coverage. You guys have seen a lot, man. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, I mean, yeah. you alone. I mean, what are your, your three coaching regimes in now or just two? Well, if you count Manny Diaz four, but oh, <laughs> I don't want to get into Manny Diaz too much. There's there's a little bit of slander that'll be there. I completely for, I forgot about that, to be honest with you. That's but stuff. yeah, but uh, 2016, obviously, <laughs> yeah, 2016 was obviously the, the best season I could have imagined having that be my first full season cover with Temple, obviously winning the American championship that year. And you know that was that was such a monumental step in the program's Mm -hmm. history and and development and obviously unfortunately Matt Rule left shortly thereafter but 
you know, it, it paid off for a little bit and then one bad hire. And now here we are. That's a lesson that UTSA fans could stand to learn preemptively. Yes. I'll say that much. Uh, I, you know, I was kind of like laughing when I looked at your profile because I was like Al's daily 24 seven. Cause like I'm used to FAU 24 seven site, which is called <laughs> Al's 24 seven. Uh, man, that's, that's kind of confusing. Do you guys ever get confused? You probably will now. You're in the same we, we have gotten confused in the past because I guess once FAU started up their site and they started growing bigger, they got the Al's 247 name and, you know, even still on credentials, we'll get credentials that say Al's 247 because yeah. I guess it's the simpler way of it. But it's like, no, it's Al's daily now, but still the same premise. Yeah. One, two, three Al mascots in the American conference <laughs> now. I was yes. laughing at, at during media day after each Al coach signed off. They were like, go Al's, <laughs> go Al's. simple yeah. Al's, FAU Al's, Rice Al's. One of them clarified. I think it was Temple. It was yeah, like, it was Jordan. Yeah, he was like, go Owls, our Owls. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, and Blue did it for Rice, too. I'm not sure if okay. uh, if Herman did it. Maybe maybe he did as well. I hope they were like, in on it. I don't know. I thought it was kind of <laughs> cool. So there's something to lead into, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Maybe there'll be an American Conference trophy for the like best that. Owl team. Yeah, right? like how the Armed Services has like the Commander-in-Chief trophy. They should do like the Golden Owl. The yeah. Battle for, the Battle of Parliament. Oh man, that's good. There you go. I don't know if uh Mike Oresco is listening to the pod yet. Uh, but if someone could shoot that over to him, that would be great. <laughs> would not be our first uh bootleg trophy we've made up on the podcast. Would not, no, this is true. <laughs> uh well, Ryan, UTSA fans know very little ball temple, right? Really well respected institution, great story. Uh success in athletics you know especially in basketball but it's just so far geographically from utsa and you know we're all new to athletics right so a lot of these schools that have had a lot of success we haven't encountered them in any sports so we don't know them too well um so i want to learn more about the athletic side of temple but i also want to learn more about the academic side of things you know what's kind of like the demographic of the student body what are some of the programs that they're known for campus life you know those kind of things yeah, so um, Temple is located, for those of you that do not know, in North Philadelphia, about two miles north of Center City. Um, it's right on Broad Street, which is the main street in uh, in Philadelphia that goes north to south, um, runs all the way down from the stadium complex all up into uh, North Philly in the suburbs. Um, typically known for being in a rougher area, I guess you could say, of the city, but that has since changed Um I know a lot of people still have the reputation that Philly's in a, in a rough section of the city, but due to the, the expanding of campus and just, you know, changing uh, demographics in the area, it's become a pretty safe location, actually. Um, it is a top 75 public school and university in the country, according to U.S. News and World Rankings. Um, we have 17 colleges and uh, schools uh, offering over 160 majors have about 33,000 total students enrollment right now, undergrad and graduate. Um, 123 countries are represented in the student body. I just looked that one up because I had no clue. I think when I was there, it was about 196, 100. So now that's expanded to about 123. And uh, they're most notable for their business school, um, their med school and media and communication school, which I can say I'm a proud graduate of. And uh, I, I 
don't ever regret my decision to go to Temple. It was it was such a big change for me um, growing up in this uh, rural Pennsylvania near Gettysburg um, and going to the city. It was it was, a you know, oh, you're going to get shot in the big bad city and all that type of deal from <laughs> friends of mine. And I don't know if that's OK to say on here, but that's oh, yeah. that's what it was. Um, but you know, it, it really opened my eyes to a whole new world that was out there and it, it got me to where I am now. And I, I'm very thankful for making that decision and broadening my horizons. Um, as far as the athletics, uh, as you mentioned, obviously Temple's been predominantly known throughout its history as a basketball school, uh, once led by, uh, NBA Hall or Halt Naismith basketball hall of fame coach, John Chaney, who led the Owls for uh, a large majority of the 80s into the early 2000s um cheney obviously is the winningest per, uh coach in temple history um led the team to numerous ncaa tournament appearances and conference championships when the owls were a member of the a10 conference um was succeeded then by fran dumphy who is also a future hall of famer in his own right who is now the head coach at LaSalle, since he did retire from temple and then took on a, a interim athletic director role with the Owls before taking the LaSalle job last year. Um, as far as Temple, they're the sixth winningest basketball program in men's basketball history, which a lot oh, of people don't wow. recognize, um, but they are right up there with uh, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, you know, the blue bloods wow. of college basketball. There are 1,977 wins all time. UPSA uh, two, might be six worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they might get past this year by a couple schools syracuse is breathing down their necks right now i think they're like four wins behind syracuse or ahead of syracuse right now so that might be seventh by the end of the season but coming up on 2000 wins is which is wow. something i definitely want to see That's um cool. made 33 ncaa tournament appearances two-time nit champions including the first ever nit tournament in 1938 which was the predecessor in the year before the NCAA tournament started. So technically they have a national championship under their belt, but it's not officially recognized by the NCAA. Um, obviously they're going to be uh, dealing with a new head coach this year and uh, Adam Fisher, who's taken over for Aaron McKee, who uh, stepped aside after the end of last season. And we'll see how that goes. We can get into that a little more later as well. Um, other than that, women's basketball also has a, a storied history. Uh, Dawn Staley obviously has was a head coach at Temple, obviously being a success at now the University of South Carolina and now is under the leadership of Diane Richardson, who is really trying to build the program through recruiting. Um, she actually just landed her uh, top 50 recruit last week. Um, out of the DMV area, and she also had the second leading scorer in the nation last year who I think she averaged 34 points a game last year, which is insane for high school numbers even. Mm -hmm. um, so they have that. And then probably fencing is their other most notable mm -hmm. thing. Um, wow. Nikki Frank was the head coach at Temple for 50 years. And yes, that is 50 years. Uh, she was head coach from 1972 to 2022. Racked, almost, racked up almost 900 wins, uh, including the 1992 NCAA championship. And she led the program, the 26th straight National Intercollegiate Women's Fencing Association Championships. It's been cool getting to know some of these East Coast schools because some of the non-revenue sports are so different 
than what we have in Texas, you know. Uh, so, like, someone asked me if we did a field hockey program. I was like, I don't <laughs> even know what field hockey is, to be honest <laughs> with you. Is, is that lacrosse? I don't know. Uh, but I was curious, what's what's the deepest run in the tournament uh, Temple's ever been on? Men, women's? They've, women's? I don't think they ever made a Sweet 16. I think they've been to the round of 32, but I don't believe they ever went to the Sweet 16. Men, they've been to two Final Fours, uh, I think, in 56 and 58. Very cool. Wow. Um, but, yeah. It does seem like Temple's got some of the richest history of any conference opponent that we've ever, ever come across. Y'all's that, that, football... That's a fair point, Adrian. I never thought of that. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think football has been around since 1894. That I mean, is correct. It was like 98 years before I was even alive. And uh, <laughs> I think probably a good, what, 70 years before uh, professional football and, and the version that we know it as the NFL even existed. Yeah, that, that was uh, no, no forward pass days. Yeah, no helmet, no helmet days. They didn't even have the leather tops on back then, dude. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty fascinating to to wrap your mind around. What what was the uh, time frame that that you were at Temple? I was just there from 2014 to 2018. Okay, very nice. A few years ago. So that 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 area when you talk about Main Street, and I'm just trying to get a better understanding of uh, of the layout. I think you said it's Broad Street. Broad Street. The, yeah. You have North, Main Street. Yeah. You have North Broad Street and South Broad Street. So is that considered downtown, quote unquote? Is that downtown Philly? So we call downtown Philly Center City. So if anybody's referring to Center City, that's down like by City Hall where the Love Park is, the Love Statue. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And then you have the uh, JFK Parkway, which leads to the Art Museum. That's all kind of like the downtown, downtown area. Temple's like two miles north of that. It's walkable. Okay. okay, nice. Okay, very, very nice. And then y'all got something very, very major in common with UTSA, despite the big difference in history. Y'all play in an off-campus stadium. We do. And uh, that stadium is actually a, a professional sports stadium as well for the for the Philadelphia Eagles. And and ours was built to with, with the intention of being a professional stadium, although that never came to fruition. But still, the the, the same. Right. There's a lot of parallel there. Um, what is what is the consensus for Temple fans and traveling to Lincoln Financial Field for games? And, and how far is that from the university? So Lincoln Financial Field is about seven, eight miles from campus. Like I said, it's really just a probably 20 minute subway ride. If you hop on the, the Temple Station, which is called Cecil B. Moore. Um, just okay. hop on that and it's a straight shot all the way to the last stop on the broad street line, uh, via subway, um, 20 minutes, like I said, subway ride. Um, if you drive, depends if you get on the highway or not. I mean, it maybe 20, 25 minutes driving to temple typically offers free transportation for students down to the field on game days. Uh, it's just sometimes the kids don't want to get out of bed, I guess. Or maybe they're a little intoxicated from the night before, but um, yeah, so it, it's not that bad of a, a trip otherwise. Um, but do the uh, sorry to cut you off. Do, do the good. students tend to turn out for like really big games, or <clears throat> and then like less for the smaller ones, or is it just kind of a mixed bag? Not recently. Um, yeah. I would say when I was there, yes. I mean, when when Penn State came in, Notre Dame came in in, in twenty sixteen. 
those games were absolutely packed. Well, mm-hmm. Penn State in 2015 and then Notre Dame in 2016, they were packed. Um, my friend and I were lucky enough to be in the front row of the end zone uh, for that Notre Dame game on Halloween in 2016 uh, when Temple was nationally ranked, taking on, I think it was number seven or 10 Notre Dame at the time. And that place was bouncing. That was the most electric atmosphere I've ever been in for a football game. It was indescribable. Um, But then, yes, I think because they had seen that Temple had built an built a winning program under Matt rule um, stretching from 2014 up until then. And even, you know, after Matt left Jeff Collins could get fans there when he was the head coach, because he was a great marketer. Mm -hmm. He marketed the program to no end. And he really brought national attention to temple by thinking outside the box and doing uncharacteristic things. Like he, he let players put their Twitter handles on their jerseys for the spring game, which I think some school did this year and got like major attention for, I think it was UCF actually. Yeah, UCF did it yeah. For sure. And yeah. and it was like temple did this five years ago. Like where oh, was the man, attention then? I'm like, that's interesting because UCF also stole the space uniforms. They get a lot of crap <laughs> for that too, man. Wow. My, whew. One school I will not miss in the in the new conference, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, that that was the case. But I think once you know Rod Carey took over, he wasn't as out there and and social with the the fans as much as Matt and Jeff were, and engaging in that regard, he was kind of more of a hands off guy, and and it kind of suffered. And then obviously COVID hit, and it it kind of deterred people it seems like from coming to sporting events and i know attendance is a problem all across the country in college sports but temple's really always been a team to struggle with attendance and based on what they're being charged right now by the eagles to lease the link out it's it's pretty disgusting that the eagles are kind of committing grand theft robbery wow on temple damn Um, so we're talking millions a year right oh it was 2.85 million in 2021 so break that down for six games. It was almost $500,000 a game. Yeah. Um, I, I tell UTC fans all the time, they don't know how good we have it, man. Well, and, like... well and here's the fun, the, the better kid tidbit. In 2015, it was only 564000 for the whole season. Hmm. So now it's that per game almost. It, it's, it's ridiculous how much that they actually charge them. And that's why... Around that time when Temple was winning, they were talking about building an on-campus stadium, but that got shot down, and we can get into that if you would like. Or... I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I hear there's a lot of controversy, right? Sounds to me it's very obvious that Temple needs an on-campus stadium, right? Are, are there people that want to stay um, off-campus in Lincoln Field? And it's it's super relevant to us because it actually yeah. just blew up. The conversation for UTSA, that same conversation has blown up on Twitter over the last week or two. Uh, so yes, this is super relevant. Get all the way into it. So in 2015, there was an initial proposal by the board of trustees to build a 35,000 seat on-campus stadium. They they were proposing that, and it was going to be right on North Broad Street. Temple already had owned the land for it. That's where their old um, field hockey and lacrosse field was, and like I think there was like old row homes that they had already owned that were there. So that, what was that? Uh, Were they unoccupied? Correct. Yeah. So then in 2016, uh, the board approved funding to begin researching and designing um, a concept for the stadium. 
Uh, two years later, they revealed the concept and they sent that project off to the city planning commission. Um, but that was later then denied because from what I heard, the planning commission said they did not want another stadium in the city limits because they already had three with mm-hmm. the with the link with Citizens Bank Park and then Wells Fargo Center um, all down in the same sporting complex area. But they did not want one in North Philadelphia because of traffic and some other stuff. Well, during all of this, students, community members were all up in arms about this in their own right. Um, There was actually a student protest group called the Stadium Stompers that um, would protest, go into the board meetings and kind of, I'll say, just be obnoxious about it. Um, regardless of their stance, I'm not saying I agree nor disagree with that, but there were times that they were obnoxious during these board meetings to where they were not productive at all because they were just chanting, you know, their, their stance. Um, and they argued that this was going to increase the pace of gentrification in North Philadelphia and eventually financially displace, um, people that are living in the area. Um, but this planning commission or the plan that I saw at least was a $130 million stadium. It was going to include a research space, classrooms and a retail area, I believe. And Temple even planned to actually have this stadium built down in to the ground because they didn't want the height of it to be above the row homes that were in North Philly. So that the lights weren't like disrupting people's houses and all. So they did account for that. Um, But like I said, the plan was denied. Um, And then in 2020, Temple and the Eagles renewed a five-year lease agreement, which is goes back to the the money that I had mentioned earlier about what they're paying now per year. Like I said, it's about that 2.8 million mark. Um, But that lease runs through, I believe, the end of next season still. So after that, I believe... They'll probably have to re-up with the Eagles at least for another year or two if that's the case. But it doesn't seem like right now that's where athletic director Arthur Johnson wants to go with the the stadium. He's he seems to kind of say like this is this is that we have a, a nice place to play and it's with the Eagles. So seems like Temple's willing to just shell out the money to the Eagles, and that's where they're gonna be for the foreseeable future. Wow. That's that's a lot to take in. Wow. <laughs> That's even more complex than what what I had understood. So Don't hold your breath. That's what I'm hearing, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not going to happen like USF's is happening. Right. That, that's it's probably not going to happen. I would say at least this decade. I doubt it will happen. Well, it it's the fact that it was denied so recently is is probably deflated a lot of the people that were pounding the table to get that done in the first place, and that was at a time when the program was having a lot of success. right? And it's actually a conversation that we've had in, in our corners of UTSA is when programs are having so much success is that's whenever you're able to parlay those kind of investments, a new stadium, an on-campus stadium, right? And so, yeah, the, the conversation has to die down for a little bit before it can come back. And, and unfortunately, that's a lot of years. And then even historically, have you always kind of been uh nomadic uh, uh, vagabonds playing around just fields and or, or was there ever at any point in in the rich 130 year history of temple football was there an on-campus stadium ever 
they never had an on-campus stadium. They did have at one point their own stadium. It was called Temple Stadium. It was in uh, the Cherry Hill area of the city, which is pretty much on the outskirts of the city, um, farther away than I would say the link is now. Right. Um, but they at one point played at Penn's uh, Franklin Field, and then they also played at the Vet when the Eagles had the Vet as well. The part about the city planning committee shutting it down even before the protest start is wild to me. I well, mean, what, what do they expect Temple to do? I mean, well, and that's the thing, like when it's at all three levels of yep. backlash, it's not good. And it, it doesn't show that it's going to happen. Like you probably mm -hmm. could have contended with the stadium stomping protests, the student mm -hmm. front protesters, and you probably could have compromised with the, the local community. Right. Mm -hmm. But when it, you have the government level in the city saying that this ain't happening. I mean, there's not much you can do about that. Um, coincidentally enough and hypocritically enough, you know, the Sixers are now being talked about having an arena in downtown or right in center city, uh, because their lease with the Wells Fargo Center is coming up and they're actually planning on building an arena in Center City and the Flyers will stay at the Wells Fargo Center. So they'll have wow. a different stadium slash arena for every pro for sports franchise in the city. But Temple still can't get a stadium. Yeah, the traffic thing's funny, too, because, I mean, it's public transportation. It's walkable. Like, I don't know. That's it yeah. Just you could have built maybe a couple more. Me. Right. Could have built maybe a couple more garages on campus. That might have been enough to do it. Right. I guess, is, I mean, to, to zoom out a little bit and speak a little bit more broad, what's the relationship like with Temple and Philadelphia at large, yes. like as a city? I would say dicey at times. Yeah. Um, not that necessarily Temple has done I mean, obviously, every university has their pros and cons. Um, the biggest issue has been the crime in the area and kind of saw that even going back to last year that Temple's president at the time, Jason Wingard, was actually kind of forced out by the protests like protests about crime because a, a Temple police officer was um, murdered on campus and it was largely thrown back on him because temple police had been cut um but the city was also supposed to be supporting temple police department in that regard and providing officers in that area mm. which they have not so it's kind of a a give and take thing where you know sometimes the city doesn't do what it's supposed to be doing but then temple's also making cuts to areas where they need to ensure people are being safe and protected because it is still a city you are still in north philadelphia and you know crime happens um and and the other thing is is the city and media outlets specifically in the city tend to refer to almost anything in north philadelphia now as near temple's campus so it kind of gives temple a bad rep even though like i said it's not as bad as what many tend to view it as um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of a dicey relationship there. I, I mean, as far as the, the facilities and all and what Temple does for the city in terms of its medical, its hospital mm -hmm. um, and its research like that and the events that it's in, the programs that it's in, I think they should probably be able to get some leeway in some things, but I don't know the politics of it. Um, but yeah, it, it's 
It's interesting. There are a lot of universities in Philadelphia, correct? Yeah, there are there are a decent number. We have the the big five, if you're counting Villanova plus Drexel, and then you have a couple D two and D three universities as well there. Yeah. So I don't know. But Temple is by far the biggest. Right. Cause I was just like wondering, like, is there that kind of communal sense of like let's rally around Temple? They're like our big public resource institution, but it sounds like some powerful people maybe not be on board with that. Correct. Wow, what a dynamic. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, really. Because I'm, I'm, I'm like contrasting it with how it is in San Antonio. And it's like UTSA pretty much gets everything at once. Like it's kind of crazy. But the fact of the matter is, you know, San Antonio to a degree needs UTSA and Philadelphia doesn't necessarily need temples is, is sort of what I'm putting together here, right? You've got four professional sports teams. It's a, a historic city with with a lot of stuff that, already kind of happens within it san antonio has always kind of been searching for its uh, main attraction if you yeah. will other than the spurs, the spurs. Yeah. yeah so yeah. i yeah i mean you know we, we've been able to have a very much we scratch your back y'all scratch ours relationship uh but it doesn't seem like temple's getting that that back scratching reciprocated from philadelphia despite providing some amenities to the city right like you Correct. mentioned with the hospital and and and, and i'd imagine there's there's got to be a maybe I'm wrong on this, a large census of Temple alumni within city of Philadelphia? There is. Um, I don't know the exact number, but there there's a lot, uh, even in the state of Pennsylvania, I think I read a couple years ago that it was like one in 40 some PA adult residents has a Temple degree. Wow. So wow. it's a lot more common than what people say. And, you know, Typically, when people think Pennsylvania, they automatically think Penn State mm -hmm. and probably Pitt before Temple. Mm -hmm. But Temple's right up there with both those in terms of the numbers of graduates that it actually has living in within the state. Yeah, when you threw out the 30,000 number, I was kind of shocked. Like my perception of Temple was like half of that. And, you know, I've spent all of like four hours in Philadelphia. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's. I don't know. You would feel like they would have more political power to wield but yeah 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 and um yeah they i think because of the commutability of the suburbs to the city that's mm -hmm. probably why a lot of people don't think temple's such a big campus which it's not really a big campus i think it's only like 460 acres total but there's only the like 7,500 students living on campus mm -hmm. they only have nine dorms on the whole oh, wow. property um so you figure do the math you have about twenty five thousand students that are commuting wow or taking classes online so that's a lot that's a large large number and that's what temple actually was founded as was a commuter school it was a night mm -hmm. school which is why they actually are called the owls is because it was for working class middle class people to wow. take classes at night and that's why they adopted the owl nickname I am geeking off of that. Are you kidding? That is that's so why I love this series. Like, like we would have never found out about that by reading Wikipedia articles. You know what I mean? Like, well, fun so fact. That's what's in. Here's a fun fact for you about the founder of Temple. He's actually buried on Temple's campus. Oh. A little weird. Right in the center of campus, too. It's a little weird, but <laughs> is there like a is there like a grave a tombstone or a shrine or something? There is there? a giant bust Mausoleum? of his head. Okay. right in front of the the grave site and typically that's where like the hipsters go and and drink their 
PBR and smoke their mm-hmm. weed. And, uh, mm-hmm. All right, I'll see you in a couple months. Let's catch go. Me by the, catch me by the bust, bro. <laughs> That's what they do. That's incredible, man. Wow. You know, and now I'm drawing so many more parallels to UTSA because because we're rooted in, in commuter school right. history, right? And, right. and it's the taken first- us... Yeah, first student to graduate from UTSA was a teacher, and like she was getting her yes. her graduate degree from UTSA. So yeah, and 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 we have over the last gosh ten years, maybe fifteen, have really really busted our ass to to get rid of that commuter school definition on the university, and and now it really is to the point where it's not a commuter school. I mean, most of the kids live around campus, if not directly on it, in the immediate uh, student off-campus housings right across the street from it right and so we we've been fortunate enough that that we've kind of shook off that commuter school name but in this case y'all really and truly are still a commuter school right i mean you're talking upwards of 75 percent of the uh student body drives in and it's usually from those suburbs right and in other rural areas of pennsylvania yeah it is and i i love it i love that about temple because that's kind of what and this might be a transition for you guys, but that kind of really is what Temple Tough and Philly Tough is all about and and that culture that there is in Philadelphia. Yeah, I agree with that. I've I've never wanted us to just completely abandon like we're friendly to non-traditional students. That's one of the coolest things about UTSA. Like I was going mm-hmm. to school with guys that were, you know, in their 30s and 40s and maybe they were a vet and started their career but they wanted to utilize their gi bill benefits and stuff like that is a really cool experience that you know i don't think you get at some of the more quote-unquote traditional colleges so um i've never saw it as a bad thing it's just like you want to provide that on-campus environment for people to have that enriching college experience but you two say is like light years better now than when andrew and i were in school so yeah it's cool also i just look to see where like a financial field is and like there are no commuters uh, that might happen to live by that field, and it's just like completely walled it's off by parking. Yeah, it's parking lots. <laughs> there, ninety-five yeah, unless, unless the you live at Citizen Bank Park um, <laughs> or the Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, yeah, not not too much uh, residential in that area. So I kind of answered my own question there. Yeah, it's um, it's, a, it's amazing because I'm seeing you know it's like seven miles away. Alamo Dome to UTSA is is like twenty miles or seventeen. I want to say seventeen miles. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's a good little distance, but I think it takes about the same amount of time for us to get down to the Allen Dome as it does y'all to get over to the link. And so it, it's just crazy the, the way that the dynamics of a city on the East coast work compared to the city on, in the South, right? We're, we're yeah, going it, 85 on the highway. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, even in the, well, in they, the they still go 85 on 90, they go 95 on 95. That's the joke. Right. Just right. don't get tossed by the state police. So us, we, we have this connotation, especially coming from Texas and, uh, you know, a whole lot of Roadrunners fans are also Dallas Cowboys fans. And so <laughs> when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles, not too well, I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, you guys like boo Santa Claus at Eagles games <laughs> and stuff like that. So, like, is it, is it, is it that brutal in, in Philadelphia when it comes to, uh, to the fandom or, or, or maybe more specifically Temple fandom? Are you guys like, as like hardcore to opposing fans and teams as like an Eagles fan would be. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all the same breed. I mean, there's obviously not as many temple fans um, because of the, the terrible history of the temple football program, especially, but the ones that are dedicated are totally invested. They will 
call for a guy's head after one game. <laughs> this guy needs five. I mean, there were people calling for Drayton's head after last season. He's not the guy that's going to, uh, it's like, dude, oh my God, it's one season in a rebuild. You can't just expect to go 10 wins every year now, just because you had two 10 win seasons. Um, so sometimes, yeah, we, we have a lot of that arm message boards where you have to like keep fans in check. And sometimes you're going to got to hit them with the band hammer just because oh, they're, they're mean to one another too. And they're wow. just, Oh man, they they pull out everything. Uh, I always yeah. joke with Javi, our, our rivals publisher, like who's gonna be the first person to get banned from the rival side? I don't think he's ever banned anyone. So this is a challenge to the fan base. Uh, if you have a Birds Up subscription, let's see it. Yeah, um, no, they. It's uh, uh, cool to see you guys still bring the Philly fire. Uh, I'm not an Eagles fan though. I'm a Steelers fan, so I will I will die on that hill. Just as bad for Cowboys fans. <laughs> that that is true. No better. <laughs> so that that's kind of a bit of a segue because i wanted to ask about rivalries for temple yes yes I, I, I don't know who temple's primary rival is off the top of my head so how, how does that uh, kind of play out for you guys well penn state fans won't say that they're rivals because temple didn't win a game for 78 years in the in the series but penn state is the main rival in most sports um, at least Temple fans view it as that because I guess Temple kind of always feels like it's the the little brother kind of gets overlooked by Temple and Pitt. Um, but Penn State's the primary rival there. That's the one that, that people hate the most. They love to hate them. Um, that's the the team that Temple's had the most history with as far as playing them, I believe. Um, and that 2015 game against them was – like I said, it was just a, a monumental win for the program to gain national recognition and, you know, begin its ascent to winning the conference championship then in 2016, uh, even though Temple couldn't beat them in 2016 at, uh, at their place. Um, but then aside from Penn State, a more regional rivalry is Rutgers. Um, Temple gets mm-hmm. them this year again on their schedule. Uh Rutgers is more of kind of like the recruiting rival in the area because Temple recruits North Jersey so hard and and New Jersey as a whole. And so they're recruiting the same players. um, And I like to see them on the schedule because I feel like even though Rutgers is in the power five, they're kind of on the same level with Temple as terms of talent wise and and how they're building their teams Um, within the city. There's not too much to pick from. I mean, Villanova is the only other school that has a a football program in the city and they're not even in the city. Um, and they're obviously at the FCS level. So they did have a rivalry at one point for a trophy called the mayor's cup. Um, I think they last played in 2017, 18, something like that. Nova won. That was a fluke game. That was when, uh, that was when Temple started calling for Jeff Collins head. The fans did at least. And okay. then, then Jeff bailed at the end of the season. Cause I think he knew that there were, uh, there was some uh, negative feelings towards him about that game. But um, I think, with the way the conference is going, Navy's going to become their primary rival within the conference. Uh, they obviously have it set up that Temple and Navy are going to be the that pair in the Northeast region um, to to play one another every year. So, and Temple's had some really good games with Navy. I, I can't remember a game that they've played since 2014 where it hasn't been competitive. Um, obviously Temple won the conference championship against Navy on their home field in 2016. So I'm sure Navy has a little bit of resentment towards Temple for that. 
And how, how far is Annapolis from Philly? It's about an hour and a half. Oh, it's not that far. Yeah, yeah wow. it's, it's, I, we have Texas brain. Everything's three hours away. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice drive. I mean, for me, it's about an hour and twenty minutes from my house where I live down, and and it's it's Annapolis is a beautiful town. Mm-hmm. It's nice to you know have that game once a year with a service academy because they do draw um, because they are a service academy and um, yeah. So I would say that they're kind of the primary rival in the conference. Now ECU kind of can be thrown up there too. I would say, cause Temple and ECU, they've kind of been on opposite trajectories throughout their whole history in the American. They've never really played each other when both are good or both are bad. Um, so I would, I would like to see, them actually match up good v good and bad v bad kind of last year the then the last game of last season was kind of the most i guess you could say competitive game i guess it's been and it was a high scoring shootout with them and i, I just like the pirate fan base i, I do a lot of podcasts yeah. with, with the pirates uh pirate nation down there they're uh they're good people down in north carolina there Yep. I've enjoyed getting to know them for sure. Yeah, great people. Um, I think Cliff actually referred you to me or me to you, actually. So nice. shout out to Clip. Um, uh, Clip. Yeah, yeah, I said I'm an FAU guy. So, you know, we're all we're all getting to become buddies now. <laughs> um I guess what about, trans- go ahead, Adrian. What about any like the new members of AAC? Could you see any sort of rivalry developing from any of the new I think, well, after today, I think everybody has Charlotte marked as a rival with uh, the way Biff ended his press conference today, <laughs> even though they might kind of be viewed as the the little the little brother in this sense, because they're such a new program and they've not really ever had success. Um, and maybe people argue that they don't deserve to be coming up to the American uh, this early, but it is what it is. Um, Charlotte but, becoming the villain of the conference is so unforeseen <laughs> because like everyone rooted for him at Conference USA but now with Biff he's just he seems like such a jerk it's like completely changed like there was such a fun program a year ago I don't know weird I mean it's it's sort of fitting it's, it's crazy because the, the the least threatening team is the villain but <laughs> quite literally the guy's name is the antagonist of back to the future series <laughs> Biff, right he's the bad guy he's the bad guy right yeah he's on the role it's pretty cool yeah. but i guess regionally right you got the ecu and the charlotte so those would be the other schools that are closer to you guys yeah and i i would love like i mentioned earlier i would love to have a series between fau rice and temple and if kennesaw yeah. state when they come up and they get good maybe a couple <laughs> years from now let's let's get the all the owls in here and we'll we'll do a division type playoff where we all play one another once a year and battle for parliament there you go That's kennesaw awesome. state fits the aac profile i mean they're, they're a big public institution in a major metropolitan area georgia state didn't want to move up so who knows who knows what the future holds uh, come back to that in 10 years, but I guess to talk a little bit about the upcoming season, um, second year and Philly for Stan Drayton coming off of a three and nine season that I think was probably a little bit more promising than the record would show um, for, you know, the casual observer um, is what was the impression of, of Drayton in year one and the team. And, and then also like, what are your expectations going forward into this year? Well, if you would ask me this question midway through last season, I would have had a totally different answer for you because the midway point, they were looking still pretty dreadful and you could kind of still see some of the the issues they had under the Rod Carey regime 
present. And it was a little bit concerning, even though they won two non-conference games earlier in the year and they were sitting at two and four. Um, it, it, they still had major issues on offense and they could not score. The last four weeks of the season, though, they turned the dial up and they played at a whole nother level. I don't think anybody was expecting. Um, they blew out USF um, and then they almost beat Houston and ECU on back-to-back weeks, both pretty last drive uh, game winners for both those teams there for them. So Temple really was arguably three plays away from being six and six. Uh, if you go back to the Rutgers game as well, because Temple had the lead late in that game against Rutgers uh, early in the year as well. They were, like I said, arguably three plays away from being bowl eligibility in Stan Drayton's first year. Um, but Drayton showed last year that he is a risk taker. He's going to instill confidence in these guys. And he did that. He did that from week one, and he was consistent with that throughout the season. He was not a guy that's going to punt forward on fourth and two all the time. He's going to go for it and hope for the best. And then he trusted his defense to make the stops. And most of the times the defense stood to the challenge and they, they did that. And that was promising, especially to see with a defense that severely lacked depth, in my opinion, they had some talent there, but they were, they were short on depth and, it, it says something when your defensive coordinator is poached by an NFL team after one season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm referring to DJ Elliott. Uh, for those that do not know, he became the linebackers coach with the Philadelphia Eagles um, during the off season. So that I think speaks a lot for actually people taking notice to how that temple defense turned itself around from a team that was putrid two years ago to a team that, was I believe fourth in the nation in sacks last year. Um, and, and they really showed t- and they allowed the second fewest passing yards in the, in the conference. So uh, a team that's going to, like the mantra says, it's temple tough. They're going to come out, punch you in the mouth. They're not going to win pretty, but they're, they're going to be in your wheelhouse from start to finish. They're going to, they're an old school team. They have been, you know, going back to the Al Golden era at Temple. Steve Adazi and Matt Rule carried that on. Uh, they they want to win because of good defense. And Drayton even said, you know, today then that he wants this team to rely on each other. Um, he wants them to love one another and hold themselves accountable rather than the coaches being the ones to hold them accountable. And that's hard to do in this day and age because people want to be friends and you don't want to tick people off and, and treat them the wrong way. But yeah, he said, I, yeah. And he said, in, I think the best himself, it was a great quote. He said that you can't survive at temple. If you just want to be friends, you got to be a family. Mm, nice. Uh, quick Is note it? for the UTSA listeners. Uh, that defensive coordinator replacement is an extremely familiar name. Uh, old buddy Everett Withers now DC at temple. And it's like UTSA just can't get away from Everett. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, very, very interesting. He is. Do you uh, credit? I mean, you talk about halfway through the season, you would have had a different answer, right? And then you're happy with how they sort of finished things off with the most close contest there. Was there anything in particular that you credit that turnaround to? Or was it just a matter of those guys finally sort of settling in and figuring out the new system? I think it was a little bit of both. I think they kind of just settled in and just said, like, look, this this is how we're going to play. And it seemed like even the coaches got a little looser with what they were doing. They kind of started drawing up some more 
stuff. And I think maybe that was because they were still getting used to the system. They were playing very simple and basic. And then they finally started cranking up that all oh, these guys are getting the hang of this. Now let's do this. Let's do this really well. Um, but I, I think it was also a little bit of the players just getting used to each other and, you know, adapting to this new system because there had been a lot of distrust within the players themselves because of the coaching turnover that there has been at Temple since, you know, Jeff Collins left and then Rod came in and Rod was, like I said, a little more hands off and I won't speak too much to that, but he kind of let players get away with some stuff and they weren't really being held accountable as much. And mm. obviously the Manny Diaz that was sandwiched in between there where he was only the coach for 19 days at temple, there were, there was a little bit of distrust there, but Stan came in and made it clear from day one, even during his introductory presser that he was going to love these guys. He was going to build them as men, not just on the field, but off the field. And he was going to establish this family and that's one of the big things that he has done since taking over the program is that Temple Tough mantra that dates back to John Cheney. He actually put a definition to it, and he it stands for trust, unselfish, family, finish. So first you build the trust, then you build unselfishness, unselfish minds, unselfish guys on the field. Then you become a family, and now you finish the goal. So that's what they're aiming towards this year is beginning that fi finishing aspect of the, the tough mantra. Okay. I haven't seen the uh, full schedule just yet. Uh, should have probably opened that in another tab, but do you think a bowl game is in play for Temple this year? I definitely do. Um, I think that based on what they have non-conference-wise, they open with Akron. Um, Akron, mm -hmm. obviously, is historically one of the worst FBS programs year to year in the country. And even during Rod Carey's tenure uh, two years ago when they played Akron, they smashed them out there. And I, I don't see that being necessarily a problem for Temple. I know Akron's getting better, um, but still don't think they're on the same level. Um then they have uh, Rutgers, like I mentioned, and like I said, Temple should have probably beat them last year. Temple and them are pretty much on the same playing field, and they don't have really a good quarterback in their system. So I, I think that's where Temple probably has the edge this year, and that is the, the quarterback play. And I know that they can put up points this year, and Rutgers is not known for putting up points. So we'll uh, we'll see how that one goes. And then Norfolk State is their non or their FCS opponent, which should be a win. And then they get a, a nice marquee game against Miami at the link, which I think that will really be a measuring stick for how this program is going to be this year and, and how competitive they're going to be uh, in the conference. As far as what I see is temple got the, the rough end of the schedule actually with UTSA North Texas and um, UAB being their, their three new members that they're playing this year. Mm -hmm. But and then they also have um, Memphis, I believe, on their slate. And Navy is always tough to play. It's not like there's gimme games on that slate. But I think that based on the growth and development that we've heard about and that towards the end of last season, what we saw, I think Temple will be able to find three wins out of those eight conference games. And I'm also, by my count, seeing seven home games at the link. So mm -hmm. that gives you all an edge as well. That is correct. But 
like my editor pointed out when he made his media poll was they get the 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 rough ones at home actually you know like miami's <laughs> coming in they get right. utsa coming in it's it's not like there's like an easy home game there right um, I, watched, I watched miami get stomped by middle tennessee last year so my my perception um, of them is way i mean probably out of whack but that's that's winnable to me I I agree, and I think that'll be a competitive game. I don't know what they yeah. brought in because I know he's bringing in you know four and five stars left and right down in Miami. But I I sometimes stars don't always matter. Right. You know, yeah. when it comes to the recruiting yeah. aspect no of it, it's it's who's the better team on that day. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, surprised you haven't talked about EJ Warner more. I've kind of figured we'd talk about him for quite a while. Uh, for those that don't know, Kurt Warner's son started as a freshman. At Temple and had a nice season. He was a uh, newcomer of the year for the AAC, I believe. That is correct. Yeah. So, um, for those that don't know, uh, Temple started last year with Dwan Mathis as their quarterback in their season opener and uh, against Duke. And Temple got smacked in that game. And Dwan kind of got a little shaken up in that game a couple times, had, I think, three or four turnovers in that game. Um, and then the following week against Lafayette, he kind of struggled the same temple wasn't scoring and people are thinking oh crap this is lafayette this is one of the worst fcs schools in the country and temple's not even be able to score on them so drayton made the decision to throw ej in there and and ej immediately you know provided a spark that this offense desperately needed for the better part of three years um like you mentioned, he went on to become the AAC Rookie of the Year. Um, he set a freshman passing record at Temple. He he put up the only the second three thousand plus yard passing season in program history behind oh, PJ Walker. That's kind of nuts, jeez. Yeah, who did it in 2016? Um, broke the single game passing record for completions and yards. He had a 500 yard game, which I believe was the highest in all of FBS all of last season, 527 yards, and three 300 plus yard games, and all of which came in those final four weeks of the season. Um, he's a smart kid. He, like people said, and this is coming from Drayton, this is coming from his teammates, this is coming from himself his father you know he is a guy that lives and dies in the film room he will study in the film room for hours and hours and hours and he knows the ins and outs of how to pick apart defenses and you can see that he doesn't have the strongest arm that's out there um he's he's on the shorter side he you know he's probably 5 11 on a good day um, and that's probably why he kind of flew under the radar in his recruitment and Temple was able to land him. But, you know, offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf had a relationship with him uh, going back to Nebraska, actually, because uh, EJ's brother, Cade, was actually had played at Nebraska when Danny was the OC there. So he knew the family for a while. And that's kind of how EJ came to Temple. And because people are probably wondering, you know, how how's this kid from Arizona get to Temple? Um, but that that's basically the story of it. And, you know, since the off season, people have noticed that EJ has gained muscle. And he he told my editor in an interview, I think yesterday that he had gained 10 to 15 pounds of muscle this off season. He's running two to three miles an hour faster than he was last year. So he's truly becoming a multi-purpose quarterback rather than just a pocket passer, which we saw him in last year. And, even though that's what he probably is going to specialize in because that's the style his dad was. That's the style he's probably going to be. And that's 
how Temple's going to use him. It, it's nice to see that he's actually adding another dimension to his game and he's going to be able to maybe move a little bit more outside the pocket. What are some yeah. other names to watch out for? Um, offensively, I think Ed Sadie, the running back, is is a guy that's being hyped up a lot um, from people I've heard. You know, he he had a 334-yard all-purpose game last year against USF, which kind of was desperately needed. Like I said, the running game, particularly for Temple over the last couple of years, has been dreadful. Um, so, and he broke out for 256 yards on the ground in that game against a, a really bad USF defense. But still, it was nice to see him finally be able to start compiling yards and, and getting yards in big chunks. Um, he's been talked about as a guy that might be a single digit guy this year. He's doing everything right. The, the coaches love what he's doing right now. Um, Ryan, I'm going to, I'm going to pause real quick. Did, did y'all keep the single digit thing from that role? Cause he started so, it, right? Actually Al Golden started it. Okay. Oh. Back in, I think it was 2007. He started it. Um, and if listeners don't know, it's that Temple Awards single digits to its toughest players on the team and, and tough being that not that they're physical and tough. They are the models of being a student athlete at Temple. They do everything right. They're the leaders in the room. They show up to practice early. They're busting their butts in the film room, in the weight room, in the classroom, in that regard. So, um, Golden started it. It went away under Adazio. Then Matt Rule brought it back. Mm. Jeff Collins kept it. Rod kept it, but not really. Because mm. during his final season, they did not award any new single digits. And he kind of was always dismissive of the question. So I think he was kind of phasing it out. And that was a thing that players did not like about Rod. Um, but then Drayton brought it back. And, and it kind of is given new life to that single digit tradition. Um, and Drayton said today in an interview with my editor that they are looking to vote on single digits about halfway through preseason camp here. And so about two more weeks, we should have some new, uh, new single digits. The reason why I rudely interrupted you is because Jeff Taylor does the same thing at UTSA. And he said they got it from Matt rule, but it goes mm -hmm. even further back than that, which is really cool. It just shows that like there are, there are no new ideas in college football. Everyone yeah. is so creative. Like, come on now. Like yeah. people are mad well, that other schools do the area code thing. I was like, I promise you, UTSA was not the first school to put an area code <laughs> on a football helmet. Please get over yourself. <laughs> you don't like the 305 chain for Miami? Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't. It's it's old. No. I, mean, yeah. I enjoy it as a UTSA fan, love San Antonio, but it's not original. Yeah, no, I agree but with that. I'll I'll let you get back to uh the, the question that Adrian asked that I really interrupted you on. No, you're good. Um, but yeah, Ed Sadie, I think he's gonna be a guy to watch out for this year. I, the Drayton said the offensive line's greatly improved this year. So I, I could expect that maybe Sadie has a breakout year, even though it's probably his last year in the cherry and white. Um it's it's gonna be a good year for him. Hopefully he's the team's first thousand yard rusher since I think Rickwell Armstead did so in twenty eighteen. Um also on offense, I think two guys to watch out for are the tight ends, uh, David Martin Robinson and Jordan Smith. Um, those last four games of the season last year, they were both healthy finally, and they combined for over uh, 470 yards and four touchdowns over those last four weeks. And just two big physical tight ends that can run and can block as well. And, and, 
that's what people tend to think is temple using tight ends for is their blockers, but these guys will fake that they're blocking and then they, you know, go deep down the middle of the field and, you know, they're sitting wide open and EJ finds them and that's kind of how temple will use them. And they're going to hopefully be both healthy come the start of camp. Jordan Smith had a little bit of an injury during preseason or in spring ball, but Drayton said today that he seems like he's going to be good to go. Um, he's running again. So uh, if they both can stay healthy, those are two really big receiving targets for uh, Warner, um, especially because the, the wide receiver room now is very unproven and very young. Uh, they brought in four freshman wide receivers and a, and a Juco guy, and there's going to be a lot of catches go around. So I look to those tight ends to have big years there on offense. And defensively, um, you got – Single-digit guy Jordan McGee, who led the team in tackles last year. He was at media days with EJ, so that, I think that speaks enough to his standing within the team as a, as a leader and a role model on the team. Uh, he was an all-AAC preseason selection. Leighton Jordan uh, actually was the standout on defense last year, kind of a breakout guy. Uh, nine sacks, 18.5 tackles, three defensive touchdowns for the Owls last year, joining actually – only Nadamakan Sue and Melvin Ingram as the only FBF, FBS players to record three touchdowns, two interceptions, five sacks, and 10 tackles for loss in one season. I was like, that's a very interesting statistic because <laughs> both those other guys made it to the NFL. So we'll see. <laughs> did that stat come from Temple? That like, did. I just man. saw it today. I was like, you man, that's a, a great SID. That's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> We do. Rich is great. Rich is our SID. Rich Berg. He uh, he was actually Donovan McNabb's personal assistant when McNabb was with the Eagles. What? So he's been in he's been in Philly for a long time. He's a great SID. Cool. I love talking to Rich. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's a, a good program. That's a great uh, great stat that that was pulled there. And um, one other guy on defense, I would say, is Taiwan Francis. He's a transfer safety from Colorado State. Uh, a lot of playing experience there, had 32 tackles in four games last year with the Rams before he left the team and entered the portal. Um, just great stats all around. He had a great spring game where he was showing, you know, physical, he was showing his physical uh, dominance and he was, he was making plays. And I'm like, I want to see this guy in full pads and uh, I want to see him in a game. So I'm looking forward to seeing him this year. Yeah, has uh, Temple been pretty successful when it comes to transfer portal world? And on on that note, NIL, how's the NIL landscape over at Temple? Yeah, so the the transfer portal kind of has been hit or miss. Um, they've definitely lost more to the portal than what they've gained over the last couple of years. Um, it's kind of been following the trend of they will take a power five back up and they come in and they compete. Some of them will find their way into the starting rotation, but they're not necessarily that good, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. So it, it's kind of been hit or miss. There's been a couple guys like Adonicus Sanders last year was a good, a good example of a guy that was actually a success, uh, was a wide receiver at Georgia Tech and, and really shined as a, a second receiver for the Owls last year. Um not many other guys that I can really think of that have come in and made an immediate impact. Uh, hopefully that changes this year with Drayton's first real class of portal guys. Um, mm -hmm. First full class of portal guys. We'll see how they pay off. I, like I said, I really like Francis's game. 
Um, they brought in another guy from Colorado State, Dante Wright, who was an All-American returner, actually, as a freshman at Colorado State. Um, he's a slot guy, should probably see a lot of catches for the Owls. He's going to be the most experienced guy in the room for them. Nice. Um, and then they brought in a couple transfers from Florida and Dewan Black and uh, Kyrie Wilcoxon. Um, who who both are Kamar Wilcoxon, sorry, and they both should see a role on this defense because, like um, you probably are familiar with, with Everett Withers, there are going to be a lot of rotations in that defense, and they're going to be bringing pressure. So uh, I look to see Dewan or Dewan Black be probably a guy that's going to back up Leighton Jordan, and then next year we'll probably slide into that starting role, and then Wilcoxon will probably be rotating in with the safeties because they tend to play a lot of three safety looks. Nice. Nice. So there's a lot of that. We're, we're bullish on the transfer portal going into this year. Yeah. And then, well, and then NIL, um, NIL at Temple surprisingly is like non-existent. Um, that's wow. been, that's been a big problem, not so much for the football program, I would say, but it's been much bigger of a problem for the basketball program. Um, yeah, that's why there's been such high turnover in Temple kind of they couldn't keep their guys this past year. Um, specifically, Jameel Reynolds and, and Damian Dunn, who were two very good players for the Owls, who I would have loved to see stay and and work under this Adam Fisher regime basketball-wise. But, you know, I think Temple's in the position, even football-wise, that if a guy has a standout year and he's graduated or he's close to graduating, I think it's – it's going to be very hard for them to um, lay out the money to, you know, get him to stay. I mean, I can think of Quincy Roche as being a guy off the top of my head that that really left Temple after having a, a defensive player of the year year in the American Conference for the Owls in 2019, left Temple to go to Miami. Um, I mean, I know there were some other stuff going on behind the scenes there with Rod and him, but it really bit people the wrong way. Cause it was like, this guy was a single digit guy. He just was the defensive player of the year. Why are you transferring up? Because it didn't improve his draft stock at all. Um, right. So there's going to be guys like that. And right. I guess that's also where you have loyalty that comes into mind and, and, and to play. And I'm not saying that Quincy wasn't loyal because he still reps temple and, and social media and stuff like that. But Stan preaches that he wants guys that are going to be there. And he said that about several other guys that have transferred out even the last this past year, that was a single digit guy. Um, he wants guys that are going to want to be there and that are temple tough, not just chasing checks. Well, unfortunately it's part of the landscape now. Has there not been any push from temple from coaches has, has Stan been a guy to say anything about it? I mean, you know, uh, trailers always pounding the table talking about NIL money. Have you all just not seen administration, university coaches pushing for it? Has there not been any supporter supporters, be it alumni or businesses that have kind of spearheaded that movement? Uh, there's, there's a lot of private ones, but they're not really bringing in the money that they I anticipated for or they anticipated. Um, okay. The biggest one, I believe, right now is called the Tough Fund, um, which is three Temple alumni who started it. Um I mean, it's it saw, I think, I forget what the number was exactly. I want to say it was around $50,000 last year, but $50,000 is 
not going to pay for one per that's going to pay for maybe one person. Right. Right. So you gotta, you gotta hope that more temple alumni start investing in the NIL or, you know, temple's going to be doomed to be a bottom of the barrel team um, with the, with the landscape of the transport transfer portal nowadays and, and NIL. So, you know, the university itself has tried they're doing more marketing campaigns about it. I believe they hired somebody that's going to specialize in NIL uh, promotion and try to get people to donate more money to that. Um, I know they have a partnership with NBC Sports, I believe with Notre Dame and somebody else. I forget what other, the other FBS school is, but they're one of three with Notre Dame and uh, this other school that has that partnership with NBC sports. That's supposed to be NIL. I don't know what the figures look like on that, sure. but I know it's for every student athlete in at temple. So I can't imagine it's probably significant money considering it's going to that many people. Sure. Um, but other than that, it's a lot of like small private ones, uh, kids, you know, selling their own clothes, their own design merch. I know one of the players at Temple's partnered with like Dunkin' Donuts. So that's probably one of the bigger ones. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a rough landscape. And you would think that with being in Philly, it would be much more prominent because there's so many more businesses and so many more yeah. opportunities for NIL, but it, it's not been that so far. Yeah. Yeah. And like the number you said earlier, one out of 40, 50, uh, Pennsylvania residents have that temple degree, right? So I mean the the donor base is there. Just got to get uh, organized, I suppose. Activated, organized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got to get them invested in athletics. That's the yeah. that's and, the big push and you gotta they got to win. You gotta exactly. Got to win. That's the thing. Yeah. Yep. All right, Ryan, I know we kept you late. I appreciate it, but this has been super insightful. We've hit a home run on every one of these we've done so far. It's so great to be a member of like a real conference and have real professional passionate people covering these programs. So I want to thank you again. Uh, before we sign off, where can UTSA fans uh, follow you on Twitter, follow your coverage, all that good stuff. All right. So you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Wallen 247. And you can follow my editor at Temple Owls Daily on Twitter. Uh, his name's Sean Pastor. Like I said, he's one of the most dedicated guys in the business, goes to every home and away game, everything Temple related uh, you can imagine. So I usually retweet all his stuff vice versa um and you can always find our stuff on owlsdaily.com or you can search owlsdaily247 or temple247 sports and you will find our links to our website brian one one really quick last thing we've got utsa players excited as to the destination of philadelphia specifically for the coveted Philly cheesesteak, where, uh, where can Rashad Wisdom in the in the UTSA football team get the best Philly cheesesteak, uh, either around the link or around Temple University? My personal favorite is Jim's on South Street. Um, it unfortunately caught on fire, I believe, two years ago now. Uh, there, so they've been closed since, and they're rebuilding. But that's actually going to be, I think, set to reopen here very soon. Okay. Um, they're going to be uh, expanding their business to the actually making it bigger because there was not a lot of seating there before. Love gyms on South Street. Uh, nice. Don't go for the gimmicky, you know, Pat's Gino. Sorry, no, oh, sorry, Pat's Gino's. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I'm not. I'm not a fan of Pat's and Gino's. Uh, no, I'll never get sponsored by them now, but um, <laughs> well, I'm yeah. looking at the Google images of gyms right now and it looks incredible. So 
Jim's is great. And uh, I've heard good things about Delisandro's very more outside the city, but I've heard very good things about that as well. Nice. Nice. What a perfect way to end it. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thanks, Ryan.